So here we go. It's one of our uh, favorite stories, one of our favorite preachers. And so Leslie's going to read the scripture to us now. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought a bed, on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. When they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Well, I hope that this is a passage that you yourself like it's a, a great encouragement to us and i hope what we share will be an encouragement to you uh, today so the first thing that we want to mention really is the closeness of our lord to his father's purpose and the presence of the holy spirit i say that because when you look at the story jesus is in this house and he's in a teaching mode. Uh, people have gathered, scribes, Pharisees, and no doubt a few others, have gathered to hear what he has to teach. What will this teacher say this day is probably what those authorities were thinking about. Will he be controversial? Will he surprise? What will we hear? And it's interesting that in the midst of this teaching, session that's going on in this house that i believe the holy spirit draws close to jesus and jesus is able to sense his presence and that the lord is told in that moment here is coming change we're going to move from a teaching mode to a healing mode because of what's about to happen and for you and me, it's really important that we are able to discern the presence of the Lord and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that in any given time in our lives, in any walk of our lives, we can be sensitive to recognize that the Lord is about to introduce something new or something different into what's happening. And we need to cultivate that closeness. Uh, we need to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, as the scriptures tell us, in order to be able to hear and sense 
and want to follow whatever the Holy Spirit might be prompting us to do. So the second one is the challenge. Here we have a challenge to move from something familiar to something else. Uh, Jesus is well able to heal people, but also he only sees what he see, he only does what he sees the Father doing, John 5, 19 and 20. And so it's really important for us to recognize that in terms of our lives and our ministry, in terms of following the Lord, that he remains Lord in all the situations in which we find ourselves. And if we're going to follow him, then we need to accept that Lordship and be ready to accept that change can come even in the process that we've been guided to. I remember some years ago being invited to a church called Hazel Grove Baptist Church in Manchester. And I'd been given a particular subject to speak on. It was quite a large congregation that time, probably about 500 people. I prepared very thoroughly and delivered the message that I believe that the church wanted to hear from the passage that they had given me in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Everything went well as people left the church. I was on the door and people made very comments, various comments and different things. And then it turned out that we went into what's called a leaders meeting. Uh, it hadn't been arranged. It just arose at that particular moment. And I sensed the Holy Spirit say to me that this was the purpose for which I had been sent by the Lord to that church. It took something to get me into that place, if you like, an invitation to preach on the controversial subject. But nevertheless, that wasn't the main purpose for why I was there. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, this is why I've sent you. And so I recognized really that there were other things on God's agenda that particular day, and that now I needed to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to accept the challenge that God had brought me here for another reason and another purpose. And so that reminds us really that uh, in the midst of all these things, we're going to have to have courage. So Leslie's going to share a bit more about that. We can certainly see the determination of the sick man's friends. One way or another, they were going to get their friend to Jesus. It was just a question of how. Now, Russ is a why person, as those who know him will probably understand. He's always asking why. He needs to understand why. When there's no answer, he gets frustrated and he talks about needing to live the question. Now, I'm a how person. There must be a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. I like to train people, pass on a skill, how to play the piano, how to listen more actively. And I like to think that I might be one of the group who found a way to get their sick friend to Jesus. Now, 
in the midst of that, I can overthink things sometime. Uh, and I wonder what might have gone through my mind. Would the owner of the house be angry? What if the roof falls on Jesus and the people causing injury? What about the mess and the damage? But really, sometimes we just need to do it. J.D.I., someone said to me once, just do it. Their friend was sick. Jesus could heal him. Jesus was in the house. We need to get to him. There must be a way. No chance through the front door, but there were stairs to the roof. There was a way. They took courage and just did it. I don't know if there was a spade on the roof, a whole toolkit, or whether they used their bare hands, but they knew what they had to do and found a way to do it. So if God has said, do it, take courage and do it. It's interesting really that in this story that they were not on their own. In other words, as you know, there were four friends and they were about to do this together. And I ask myself the question sometimes, what was their confidence, their basis for confidence to do the very thing that they were going to do, which was going to be quite costly, at least for the guy who owned the house. And so we ask, what is behind the activity? Well, they certainly, I think, had come to a place where they knew that Jesus would welcome them, not turn them away. And so as we move about doing our work, doing our various jobs, our duties and such things, we know that in the name of the Lord, Jesus welcomes people and doesn't turn them away. And we can have that confidence to sometimes say to people that we wouldn't otherwise say, uh, may I pray for you? I believe the Lord loves you. I'm sure that if we pray, God can do something about the situation that you're in. And certainly they had this sense in their lives that this would be a good thing to do. A good thing to do, of course, uh, for their friends. But it also demonstrated really that this good thing was being fed by their faith in who the Lord is and who the Lord was. And so we get this situation where we can see really that their faith is very important to Jesus responding to the man's healing. You can see really that it says in the text really that it's because of their faith. So there was a sense in which these four had a combined faith. And that helps us as well to understand sometimes that it's not about us doing something on our own because our faith might not be sufficient. But if there are a number of us together, it may be that the group faith will be something that will achieve the result and the purpose for which God has brought us together. A few years ago, I was in Cannes in the south of France working and a couple came to see me that I didn't know. They had asked the uh, family where I was staying, uh, would I pray for them because they were desperate to have a baby? So of course I said, yes, of course I will pray for you. 
and they came and I listened to their story and then had the sense as I was listening to the Holy Spirit at that time that this was not just a, a prayer that I was to pray but that we needed to gather a group of people and that they should pray for this couple. And so we uh, went around just thinking about who could be part of this prayer team, who could join in, who would be willing to be part of that. And uh, after a little while of talking, we, we got together uh, a group. I don't mean we got them together in the same house because uh, that was not possible, but we got them together and they agreed that they would pray and that they would pray constantly for a while and then we would see what would happen. And so it was great news to me when the couple uh, texted me to say really that sure enough, uh, she was pregnant. So it wasn't about just me, it was about a group of people who had faith that God wanted to do this and would do it, who prayed, and the result was very positive. And so nine months later, uh, a baby boy called Eden was born. So I hope that can encourage you sometimes really to see that an instance for prayer, a situation for prayer, a difficulty for prayer, something that just needs to happen is about more than just yourself. It's about a group of people praying, and maybe it's exactly like it was here, that Jesus sees the faith of this group of people and answers their request. Now we see here Jesus offering forgiveness to the man, and it's so important that we cultivate a culture of forgiveness. Can we do what Jesus did? I believe we can if people in our presence confess their sins to God, then we can say, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Just thinking of an example, some years back now, one of the early John Wimber meetings, um, I think perhaps the first that we attended, um, at the end of the meeting, people were praying in groups and uh, we were praying for a lady with a bad back in our group. The Lord led Russ to a passage of scripture, which he shared, and that brought to mind with her the fact that she had had an abortion and the guilt of that she had carried over years and it had come between her and God the Father. On her confession, we are able to declare 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, the release was immediate. And so we found uh, with people at Hall Baptist Church as well, many that we prayed with, just hearing that God had forgiven them, brought them release, great release, and sometimes healing. I think humanly speaking, we often need to hear that we're forgiven and need to say the words, I forgive you. As Christians, forgiveness really should be the air we breathe. It's basic to our faith. Jesus died so that I could be forgiven. It's the only way I can stand before a perfect God. The church is only here because Jesus died for our sins. And I am only here because Jesus died for my sins. It's part of our culture. In Matthew 18, we read this 
parable about forgiveness, there's a king who released one of his servants from a completely unpayable debt. And then that same servant threw a fellow servant in prison because he was not able to pay back a small debt. The king was angry and he handed this servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Now God has released us from an unpayable debt and we need to release others. I like the Scottish version of the Lord's Prayer, which says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And looking at uh, the, the servant who was handed over to the jailers and tortured, I think unforgiveness is often like being in prison and being tortured. We need to create a culture where we know and declare God's forgiveness. We may know in our heads, and we, but we need to know in our hearts. Sometimes we need to hear the words and say the words, you are forgiven in Jesus' name. There is a release when that happens and we verbalize that. James chapter five and verses 14 to 16 says this, is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Forgiveness of sins and healing may go together. So we've seen the closeness of the Lord to be able to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and to move from one particular thing to another seamlessly, as it were. We've seen uh, the challenge uh, that we have to cultivate that sort of closeness if we're going to bring blessing and benefit to people that we mix with. Um, even in this lockdown, we can still do that by telephone, by Zoom, by letters, uh, by sending things. It doesn't stop us from following the Lord's will in practical ways. We can see that the courage of these men to make certain that they could bring their friends to Jesus. We could see the, the confidence that undergirded their life in who Jesus was which caused them really to take uh, great risks. And then there was the, the culture of Jesus to offer forgiveness. Uh, the man who is ill doesn't say anything. And before he can say anything, and we're not aware of anything that he said, Jesus offers him the forgiveness of his sins. And we just want to say really that if any of you are struggling in any way uh, with something that needs to be forgiven, uh, don't uh, keep it, as it were, undisclosed. I don't mean by that, tell the whole world, but talk to someone really who can just speak that word of release over you. You are forgiven in Jesus' name. And we know that uh, from the Psalms that David found that unforgiveness could really destroy his mental and physical well-being but that when the Lord had forgiven him, there was a restoration to his bones and a joy to his body. 
So the final C for those of you who are making notes, and we will give Gareth our notes so that if you want them, you can have them, is climate. So what do I mean by climate? Well, one of the things that I did growing up was to uh, read the Bible in the authorized version. And so some things have remained close to me in terms of that translation. And when you look at Mark's version of the story, Mark chapter 2 and verse 1 onwards, you'll see that Mark starts, and this is an old expression, it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. Put another way, it was rumored that Jesus was in the house. So I hope really in terms of us living in this village, that it is noised or it is rumored that Jesus is living here or visiting, if you like, however you want to put it, in Pensan Cottage. I like that thought that people can come and it's a place where they'll encounter the Lord. Uh, we have a little sign just to the left of our front door. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, whether they come in the name of the Lord or not, we seek to welcome them and to help them to know that Jesus is here. There are a number of Christians that we know, Christian leaders who live in our village. And so hopefully as a group of people, we're demonstrating that. We're cultivating the climate that Jesus is in the house. Uh, some friends of us, some Christian friends of ours in the village have done a number of things uh, over this lockdown period. Uh, they've painted stones in their little close with various messages, whether it be Easter or whether it be Pentecost, whether it be Christmas. And they've taken those little stone painted pebbles around to every person in their close as a gift. Uh, at Pentecost, they cut out doves and put doves on a string and delivered them to people's houses, always offering an, exp an explanation of what they were doing. Uh, they built a rather large nativity, all lit up with something that they could put outside their door uh, and people could visit and they could get something to understand about the Christmas story. And uh, they, they came to me and asked, did we have uh, a nativity? And uh, many years ago, those of you who remember Jean Pullin, who used to be a missionary in India, uh, after she died, uh, Art received an Indian nativity. And he gave it to us for our collection. And so when this couple came to ask us, what did we have? we said, oh, would you like to look at this Indian nativity? And Jean Pullin's Indian nativity has appeared in this nativity scene outside the house, lit up and all protected within a box. But there we go, something that she brought back from her missionary work has still uh, a life and a vitality about it. So here we go, we are creating a climate where people can get to know the Lord Jesus. So I hope this will help you, hope it will encourage you, hope it will stimulate you, and that God's word can guide you 
as you seek to serve him in this week and beyond. We thank you for your friendship, your fellowship, and all the support that you give us in every way. We love you as people of God, and we like being able to serve you. And thank Gareth again for the opportunity to speak, since it's only a month ago that we last spoke to you. God bless you. Thank you, Gareth.